Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer and Ben, we have a very special guest for our second basketball podcast of, you know, our time on BOTG. Yeah, I mean, we had to start out strong with a couple of really strong groups of guests here, but none other than, you know, one of the co-founders of the Boots on the Ground movement, our buddy from back in the day when we were doing Deacons Daily, Christian O'Jackson. Christian, welcome to the pod. Thank you, boys. Great to be here. So proud of what you guys are doing and excited for a big year of Wake Hoops. Well, Ben, last week we talked about the 2022-23 iteration of Wake Forest men's basketball. Got a lot into, you know, what went wrong down the stretch of the season, some of the the issues, but also some of the highlights of the season with some help from Kevin Dunn and RJ Kenna, two of Wake Forest basketball's very own. Now, you know, we are just a few days away from Wake Forest's first open exhibition against Alabama in the Joel. And now it's time to look ahead towards the 2023-24 season. Yeah, and, you know, this is, I kind of mentioned it last week, this is sort of a new look Wake Forest team. Um, you lose a lot in terms of production. Davian Williamson's gone. Tyree Appleby's gone. Bobby Clintman's gone. Um, you welcome in a really intriguing slate of fresh new faces, you know, whether that be freshmen, whether that be the transfer portal. Um, and so I think this this test on Sunday against Alabama playing for a very good co- cause, obviously, um, will be a great way for some of these new guys to sort of get themselves into the fold. And Ben, you talk about the new guys, but there are a lot of returners. And Christian, I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on these guys. But Wake Forest is bringing back some talent from last year's team. You know, Damari Monsanto at the top of the list, Cam Hildreth, Zach Keller, Andrew Carr, Matt Marsh. There are players who played a lot for for Wake Forest last season that'll be back on the squad this year. And so it is that nice mix of returnees and and new guys for this team this year, Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lost some guys that that mattered and I can go into each and every one and, and their impact. Uh, positive and negative, but as Forbes alluded to earlier, this is the deepest team he's had. And when I look at this roster, I see a lot of guys who can play. And last year, especially after Damari went down, that wasn't the case. It was, we have one really, really, really good player and a lot of guys who who can make plays, but who were kind of doing a little bit more, uh, you know, than I think a role that that they could thrive in. They were asked to do a little bit more than that. That's why I'm excited for guys like Andrew Carr and Cam Hildreth who come to mind as guys who, you know, last year were kind of thrown into the fire and a lot was asked of them. And this year with some more talent around them, I think they can really take a step up in their game because um, they're not having to, you know, do too much. Yeah. And Ben, I think it's going to be interesting with, I think where Cam Hildreth's role lies within this team, maybe, I think, and a lot of it is is to be seen. We don't know a lot about Kevin. We'll refer to him as Boopy Miller. Um, you know, what what he'll bring to the team as a scorer, Hunter Salas as a guard as well. But I think this will allow Cam Hildreth a little bit more opportunity to be the ball distributor and a defensive weapon that he's proven to be over the past few years. And maybe Wake Forest won't have to be as reliant as him offensively where there were some issues finishing at the hoop. Yeah, Cam Hildreth last year was um, he was a very important part of the team. He was asked to do a little bit of everything. He averaged 12 points a game, 5.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and had a lot of really good games for the team. But in the, the times when he struggled, it was like we've touched on. He tried to do a little bit too much, got into the habit of pounding the rock, laid into the shot clock, costly turnovers. Um, and because Wake really didn't have a true backup point guard. Javai Tuka was hurt for most of the year. Tyree Appleby was playing nearly 40 minutes a game every single night. So Cam Hildreth, who is not really a true point guard, was sort of forced to step into that role as, you know, the major ball handler when, you know, whenever Tyree needed a break or, you know, when they wanted to switch things up on the offensive end. Obviously now, like we touched on, they're a lot deeper at guard. Kevin Dunn last week talked about what a deep bag Boopy Miller has. Obviously the question for him is going to be, He only played four games last season, had to sit out most of the year due to a foot injury. How long will it take him to adjust back to, you know, getting into live action? But in that small sample size, some really exciting stuff, over 18 points a game, an efficient 52% shooting, basically. Um, You would hope that he would replace some of that scoring impact of Tyree Appleby, who led the ACC in both points and assists last year. Obviously, you know, that 
is a leap to make because we're looking at a small sample size of, of, of Kevin Miller and he hasn't seen, you know, seen live action in, in almost a full year now, but Steve Forbes has a history of, you know, picking diamonds out of this transfer portal. Um, and personally, I don't really expect him to stop now. They have a very, Steve Forbes talks a lot about what's he, what he looks for in the, you know, the transfer portal. It's guys that fit the culture, guys that fit the scheme, guys he knows can do well in his offensive system, which has seen so much success over the years. Um, and I expect after, you know, sort of a learning curve for guys like Kevin Miller and Hunter Salas to really, to really um, thrive in the system. Yeah. And I think one of the things when it comes to Cam Hildreth is, and I've seen it, I, we were, had an open media practice recently, that leadership factor for him now that he's, he's older in his third year with the program, he was named a captain for the team. I mean, it, it, there is a big, you, you could sense that he is going to have a massive presence just regardless of what he's actually doing on the court, you know, scoring points wise that there, there is a really big impact that he's making in some of the intangibles within the team. So I think for Cam, that's a really, really big thing to look at going forward. Uh, and, and for other returners, Christian, you know, thinking about the big men, Andrew Carr and, and Matt Marsh both had some high points of the 2022-23 season and also some points that were a little bit low. It'll be interesting to see what they can put together this season. Yeah, and before I get into Martian Carr, quickly on Hildreth, that was that was a great point, Ben, about the fact that he kind of had to be a backup point guard last year. But you know, when you look at this year, I I assume at most he's he's gonna have you know he'll be fourth in that pecking order behind you know Salas, who who could potentially be the point guard or have the ball in his hands more than anyone on this team. Miller, Atuka, who we'll get to, uh, we'll get to later. But exactly, Hildreth was served as his backup point guard, but also he was the only dude who could like score with his back to the basket on the team last year. So he would get post-up opportunities and, and he, and sometimes you're watching him like he can, he can score from the post. He, he, he's a really crafty, great footwork, great pump fakes, great fundamentals. But then sometimes as we allude to, he can be frustrating because it's like, this isn't the basketball I want to watch of you kind of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of, of earlier too early in the shot clock, like looking for his own. And I don't think he's going to have to do that this year. And like, as you point out, Essex, just all, you know, being a leader, being, being comfortable, being there throughout Forbes' whole tenure. Like, um, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, he'll just going to have a, a cleaner, more efficient year and, and, and be an impact. And, and in terms of Carr and Marsh, uh, I touched on Carr earlier with, with Marsh, you know, stands out like the, the stat that we just brought up all the time last year was how many dunks he had, how absurd his field goal percentage was. And, when he's out there, he's going to continue to do that because if he gets the ball in the restricted area, he's going to dunk it. And he's going to set big screens because he's huge and he's going to roll off those screens if a dynamic guard is coming off it and they're going to throw it up to him and he's going to throw it down. However, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard Forbes mention in a press conference that Matthew Marsh was taking threes and I, I'll believe that when I see it. But skill-wise, I, you know, he is what he is. Offensively, I don't expect him to become a great passer or, or you know, be able to, to handle the ball or, or or be able to step out and shoot it. My 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 thing with Matthew Marsh is can he level that energy up defensively and on the glass, you know, because he is so big. And there were games last year. I know DJ Burns was great against a lot of people, but it's like he was really getting bullied around, you know, and like I and I know Burns is Burns is on the far end of the spectrum of tough guys to guard. But the point is, because of how huge Matt Marsh is, I would just would have liked to have hoped he could have defended some of the better bigs in the ACC a little bit better. And that just didn't really happen. Not that Davion Bradford, no disrespect to him, not that he was much better, you know, and those guys, a lot was asked of them as, as young guys, but, um, you know, uh, a similar theme of, of these guys kind of having a little bit different roles, obviously Efton Reed being there or not, Matthew Marsh's role could be massively different as an energy 12 minutes, different look, huge guy, lob threat versus like 28 minutes a night. So. That is a really good point because, I think, and we'll get into Efton and his whole situation a little bit later, but if what was asked of Matthew Marsh last year is going to be asked this year, I think you're going to possibly continue to see some of those things that I would characterize a little bit as liabilities to go along with his positives. We, you know, you talked about the offense. He's elite in the restricted area, as you said, the field goal percentage, everything pretty darn good on the offensive side. On the defensive side, for me, it's a mobility thing. And for him, I mean, he's just a really big guy. I mean, Matthew Marsh is a tree. So, like, it, it, 
that's where I think he struggled a little bit against DJ Burns and other guys mobility getting outside of the, you know, the paint, but also in the post, he was having some trouble just getting back down a lot. He's got that. It was weird. He almost had like that in between where sometimes he wasn't big enough to really lock down in the, in the post, but he also wasn't mobile enough to, to be agile in there as well. So he didn't have one dominant dominating attribute in that regard either way he was just a little bit in between so it'll be interesting to see how that works for him I mean I know Wake Forest has an unbelievable strength program Mike Starkey is one of the best out there getting guys bigger on the point of Andrew Carr again you know this is the second season the second offseason where it's been Andrew Carr has gotten bigger and stronger he's gained a lot of weight he gained about I think 15 to 17 pounds this offseason looks bigger I mean he certainly looked that way uh, in the practices that I've seen. Uh, and, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, early on in the season, Andrew Carr was pretty darn good. And then the injuries started to to rack up on him a little bit. And I think that impacted how people viewed him as a player. And so I think this season, I mean, I, I think highly of what Andrew Carr is going to do this year. He's bigger, he's stronger. I think, you know, not having his hand and arm being completely screwed up is going to positively impact his ability to shoot the ball he looked good shooting and practices I, I really do think it's going to be interesting to see what Steve Forbes does with his big men yeah and you know I think that one of the major differences between this year's team and last year's team was just especially down the stretch after Damari went down against NC State I think Steve Forbes found himself coaching from a point of personnel weakness of very limited personnel who he could put out there in certain situations wake really struggled against the stretch for all year long they didn't really have a dominant you know perimeter defender um, they gave up a ton of points you know there there were so many games where wake was so good on offense and would score so many points but you know then they would give up I think the perfect example of that game is I think late in the year they lost to Miami Florida 96 to 87 and that was a road game you know, Wake puts up 87 points on the road and still falls by nearly double digits. And, you know, that is a, a masterclass offensive effort from Steve Forbes against a Miami team that had a very, very deep March Madness run. But this year, Christian, you touched on it. The team is just so deep. There's depth everywhere, especially when Damari comes back. You're really excited for what these guys can do. Um, you know, in the backcourt, Hunter Salas is an elite defender. Um, that brings an element to the backcourt that, you know, hasn't necessarily been there in that you know at that capacity in years past um Kevin Miller will hopefully bring that offensive spark and then yeah you have guys like Cam Hildreth who can fit more naturally into their their niche role and the role that they were recruited to play on this team and for a guy like Matt Marsh I love that you guys brought up the word energy because that's exactly what he should be he should be a guy that comes out there is flying high catching lobs you know bringing a spark to this team off the bench when you know if Efton Reed is able to go, you know, when Efton Reed needs a break, you know, when, when, you know, the second units are out there, that type of thing. Um, so it'll be exciting to see Steve Forbes with, you know, more weapons at his disposal this year on both ends of the floor. To that point, Ben, it makes me think a lot about the 2021-22 season, that team that Steve Forbes had. He had a lot of weapons and especially the big weapons that Wake Forest lacked last year. I mean, I remember you could go with a big starting five you, or a big set of five with Hadim C and Dallas Walton at the four and five. And they're both like seven. With Mucius at the three, who was six, nine, six. You, you could know? run Jake LaRavia at the three even. Mm -hmm. And like Mucius, like the, the talent there, like wait, that team should have made the tournament. Like the way they, 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 they missed the opportunity to make the tournament. But like having Matthew Marsh and Efton Reed and Andrew Carr, like those are three big men. And then Damari, who is a little bit, plays more like a guard, but is a big body. I mean, there is the size. There's a lot of size going on on this team. Hunter Salas, as Ben, you said, such a such a talent. He's good. I think he looked really good offensively in practice, but defensively he is unbelievable i mean in the first two minutes of practice that i saw where they were going live he was in the offense's hands every single possession getting steals i mean he literally had two steals in i think 45 seconds it was unbelievable so i think there's a lot of versatility within this team christian i know you've got some thoughts on hunter salas go right ahead yeah so a narrative is forming of course about what steve forbes is doing 
in the transfer portal, you know, because his track record over the last two years has been incredible to, to at the very least. And yes, he's got the five-star pedigree that that's one big factor of this. But to me, what sticks out about how good Forbes has been with, with, you know, the portal in general, but specifically Londis and Appleby is unlocking guys who weren't, you know, given all of this freedom offensively, you know? And so Appleby went from like being a baller, at a mid-major at Cleveland State, taking a lot of shots on a, on a not very good mid-major team, and then going to Florida and having to kind of take a, a back seat, not being a very efficient scorer. And then Steve Forbes identified him as a guy that said, I think I can put the ball in your hands all the time. You can make great decisions in a pick and roll, create shots for yourself and others, and you know lead the ACC in points and assists. And I know it's a lot to put on Salas or, or even Booby Miller to, to expect them to be at that level. But that's what excites me about this group is if you look at any team that's been great in college basketball the last few years, a common thread is multiple guards that are legit and that can create shots. And and as good as Albin Alondas were, it wasn't like, you know, that Baylor team where it's Jared Butler, it's Davian Mitchell, it's Macy Oteague, or, you know, UConn last year. Obviously, they have the bigs, but Hawkins has the ball. Um, Tristan Newton has the ball. And then, you know, Joey California comes up, whatever. That, that team was a different thing. But what I want to say about Salas and, and Boopy is Forbes handpicks these guys as these are guys that I can unlock and, and, and take to another level. Salas couldn't really shoot a Gonzaga. I think he shot 26% from deep. Um, as you guys talked about the, the defensive, we know he's going to be an elite defender. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. He's so athletic. This is why his physical tools are why he was a five-star recruit and why Mark Few wanted him at Gonzaga. But, you know, there's a, there's a confidence thing to, he didn't do anything in March. He did not make an impact on the, on the, really in the team in March. He did, he did it in Sparks, but he was he was very capable of it. And when I would watch Gonzaga, I would think sometimes, why isn't he playing more? Um, but the way I've heard him be discussed as a potential point guard is the part that's really intriguing me, um, because that's that's where I see this team becoming a tournament team. Like if Boopy Miller is a legit guard who's getting to the basket making good decisions, you know, being able to stretch the defense. He didn't take that many threes. He averaged 18 a game as a freshman, only took two threes a game, but he hit 38% of them. So, you know, is that a step that he's going to take? Is taking more threes? Um, Salas is the most talented player on this team. Damari is a top five shooter in college basketball. Off the catch, off off the dribble, it's going to be so easy for him to get those looks. You know, he's going to have to work less hard than he did last year, you know. And I didn't even mention Cam Hildreth. I didn't even mention um, Andrew Carr in that. Like, there, there's so much ballast to this team, but it, but to be an elite college team, you need to have really good guards. And I'm I'm projecting Salas to be the guy on this team, but I think Kevin Miller, you know, he's he's a question mark, but I really think that it can be a little bit closer than maybe people are expecting, and I think that's good is what's going to unlock Wake is if both of these guys are able to create like that. Yeah, and there's a lot of unknowns about Boopy Miller, but I mean, he is just, he's got that spark. I know you said the word spark, uh, you know, earlier. Boopy, at least from what I've seen in practice and from that film pre-injury at Central Michigan, has got that pop about him. Just that quickness, a little bit like what we saw with Tyree Appleby, a little bit like what we saw with Alondis, where you can drive, get to the hoop really hard. Like, that is what I've seen from Boopy. And so, as you said, Christian, I think just that level of depth at the guard position is something that wake. I I don't think they've had before with under Steve Forbes. Like I think they've had depth at, at, you know, forward and at center, but even deeper. I mean, I was just thinking about some of, you know, the new guys that, that Steve Forbes brought in one that really stands out to me. Freshman Parker Friedrichson is a shooting machine just from behind the three point line is really, really good. And he's, you know, a lot of, good things have been said about him by Steve Forbes and people within the program. Steve basically said that Parker is fighting his way into playing time for Wake Forest basketball. So that is just even more depth. There's Abramo Zonka from UCLA. He's a, you know, a little bit more of a forward at six, six, but I think he can kind of fit into that Damari role as like a third guard like that. There is just, it's so much depth, like good guys who should be playing and maybe would be playing on a team that Wake Forest had last year aren't going to be playing that same amount of time. And I think it's just going to give Steve Forbes and his coaching staff the opportunity to really pick and choose what they want to do and kind of scheme games out, scheme out opponents 
put together different lineups, feel it out. Like, I think the versatility of this lineup is unbelievable. I mean, just so many opportunities that even you talk about guys like Damari being out till potentially December or January and a guy like Efton Reed, who might not even be able to play at all this season because of a waiver. And Wake is still has, has pieces where they're able to kind of figure things out. Yeah, and you know we keep going back to this this backcourt combo of Hunter Salas and and Kevin Miller. And what I like maybe the most out of everything about them is how well I think their games have the potential to complement one another. You know, like you said, Kevin Miller at his best is an explosive scorer, can get to the rack, can shoot it from behind the arc. You know, he's a little bit shorter at six foot, but then you bring in Hunter Salas, who's got you know this size at six five, like you said, Kristen, the six ten wingspan. And Steve Forbes, what he loves to do with his guards is say, you know what, go be you. We will accept the downside of whatever your playing style is. With Tyree Appleby, it was play as fast as you possibly can, take shots, dish it out. We'll live with a couple turnovers here and there. You know, obviously, we're still waiting to see what, you know, the downsides of, you know, Hunter Salas and Kevin Miller completely unleashed are. But I think together, they really have the potential to, you know, provide a safety net for one another. You know, if Kevin Miller has an off shooting night, Hunter Salas can still, you know, fill it up, put some points up there. And, you know, likewise, even when Hunter Salas maybe isn't scoring the ball well, he's still got that defensive presence out there. And he's got, you know, Kevin Miller at the other guard spot to pick up the slack offensively. I think that was, if I had to guess, I think that was probably part of the idea with pairing those two together. And then I think you bring in a piece like Damari when he's back from injury, where, like you said, he's not going to be having to work as hard as he did last year for those, you know, three point looks. Um, I think one of the areas Damari improved most in last year was shot selection. You didn't see him chucking up a ton of garbage three-pointers. He had a lot of really efficient nights from three. And like you said, I, I too agree with the fact that he's a top five shooter in college basketball, but you're going to let him be him in the sense that he can just catch it and he's got such elite footwork and he can still create space for himself off the dribble when necessary. But I think things are going to open up more for him on the perimeter. I think Wake's going to be able to spread the floor very well you know, if everyone stays healthy. And like I said earlier, I think Steve Forbes is really going to be coaching from a position of strength on both ends of the floor, you know, provided everything works out well with, you know, with injuries and, and a little bit depending on Efton Reed's waiver status. But even so, you know, there's, we just keep talking about how, how many pieces there are on, on, on both sides for this team. And like, I, we just, I know we're harping on it, but it's just so, so crucial like we cannot overstate how many guys that he has at his disposal that could be factors this year. Um, and, and that's the fun part they, you know, we're, we're trying to project, you know, everyone's role and how much they're going to score and stuff, but you know, they, the coaching staff probably still doesn't know yet, but you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, look at Friedrichson is a legit shooter. You know, he's a smart player. Like let's start, let's see what he can do. Let's throw him out there. Don't let's not forget. Lucas Taylor started game one last year, you know, started Lucas more than Taylor, game one. I, too yeah, no disrespect. Too many games, and you know I wish him the best of luck. He was not an ACC caliber player. Neither was Carter Witt. These, and I know that was two years ago. But the point is, these guys. That's not that's not who's being thrown out there. You know, Forbes has been around college basketball for so long, and and you know, we were all surprised at how good the Alondas Williams team was because it was just kind of a faster timetable than we were expecting. But and last year the roster outperformed its talent level because of how good Appleby was essentially it can be boiled down to that simply um you know but this year is just different you know we we don't know what Jawatuka is Jawatuka was the max freshman of the year you know super explosive athlete super good three-point shooter Forbes was raving about his work ethic he said it was the hardest working player he's ever had he said that last summer and then you know he comes in plays six games does not impress at all then we find out he's dealing with an injury you know Jawatuka could be a legit guard off the bench that that's scoring and you know we'll 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 get to marion and clark and and you know i know you're excited about conca uh essex but i'm just excited to see how the coaches kind of figure out how this all works because um they probably don't have the answers yet. and and that'll be fun to kind of see these guys compete and push each other in practice I'm jealous that you guys have gone to watch practice. I want to watch practice, but to see these guys push each other and for those ranks to kind of settle in, uh, that's going to be really uh, interesting to see. And just the baseline talent is at another level. And I know that I'm saying this with such confidence. I know you guys agree. We haven't seen it yet, but you can just tell that this is an ACC roster that Forbes has not had yet. 
I mean, yeah, every coach wants to say that their roster is like 10 guys deep, that they've got five guys off the bench that they can roll with. I legitimately think that Steve Forbes has that number of guys that he can roll with off the bench. I mean, you mentioned it, Christian. It's the early season, the especially, I think, you know, the the super secret scrimmage that, that you know, Wake Forest had recently, the far less secret scrimmage they're about to have with Alabama. You know, that first game against Elon, there's going to be some, I think, some opportunities to figure out what, what Wake has going on and, and a lot of those different lineup combinations. I know Steve Forbes is a big guy in, in switching up a lot of combinations in practice. He He tries a ton of different things out. So I, there's probably some thought process about what different looks look like, but I mean, just with these myriad options for Wake Forest, I think there is, as you said, Christian, going to be a little bit of that learning curve and figuring out because there's a little bit of that unknown, who's going to be the guy, like what, what does Hunter Salas look like? What does Boopy look like? You, you, so many different kind of things. How does Cam Hildreth factor into all this? There, There is going to be some time to figure that out. And I just re- bringing in for one last time the the Damari injury. I think for as much as it's like losing that Damari factor is just it, it it hurts without a doubt. It's gonna allow Steve Forbes to figure out some of these other guys a little bit and what they their standing is in this Wake Forest lineup because you have to fill that three spot that has Damari's name with a gold star on it, like. Is that going to be Hunter Salas with Cam at the two and Boopy at the one? Is Cam going to play that three? You know, is Wake Forest going to go with a bigger lineup? And you see someone like Abramo Zanka in there maybe, you know, shifting in and out. It's There's just so many unknowns because there is that talent. Yeah, and you know one of the one of the other things that I really like about this team, and I think this plays into a little bit of the reason why Steve Forbes chose Andrew Carr and Cameron Hildreth as captains. Obviously, they're returning players, but the returning players on this team are incredibly battle tested. I think, um, and I think that's going to be a really important element early in the year as Wake Forest is still figuring things out. You know, Cameron Hildreth, we talked about it was in the trenches all year last year. Was forced to play a little bit out of his depth. I think all things considered, did an outstanding job. And now, you know, was forced to step up and really play in some of those big moments. And like you said, Essex, circling back a little bit to the Damari um, absence at the beginning of the year. This I sat down with Damari last year um, to do an interview with him to write a story. And I asked him during the course of that interview, what do you think, you know, the best thing that you bring to the table is as a player? And, you know, he talked for a little bit. But one thing that stood out to me that I still remember is he said, even when I miss, they still fear me which is exactly the role that he played on that team last year. And also one of the the coolest things I've ever heard another person say, even when I miss, they still fear me. Um, But the the question is like, who's going to be that X factor when, because Demario is a player that when he's healthy, when he's firing, you have to give him respect essentially anywhere on the floor, great range, you know, you know, can even get to the hoop a little bit, learned how to pull up from the mid range a lot last year and just be dangerous from anywhere. So who is going to be that guy that you go to when you really need a bucket? You know, you had Ty Appleby doing that last year. You had Damari doing it some. Who's going to step up and be the guy that late in the game, you know, Wake has some, we'll get into this later. Wake has some some quality opponents early on in the year this year. You know, say you get into a dogfight with somebody, who are you going to go to, to, you know, get to the foul line late, get a steal late, get a block late, big rebound, you know, big three-pointer, whatever it might be. And that I think is what is going to be so critical, you know, in the first, the first, you know, quarter of the season or whatever it might be. Fellas, I know we could talk about this Wake Forest lineup truly all day long. I mean, we're filming this Tuesday night. We're it, we are darn near close to being like we could talk about this until the the sun rises up on Wednesday morning. But with that being said, let's talk about one more thing before we get into the rest of our podcast. Something that I know all of you know, Deke Town, Wake Forest Nation, whatever you want to call it, uh, is thinking about is the transfer waiver status of Efton Reed. You know, a big time recruit coming out from Gonzaga through the transfer portal would be a really, really big piece of this Wake Forest basketball team for Steve Forbes. But the tough part is, and it's the new nature of college basketball, college athletics as a whole is nobody knows if he's going to be able to play basketball or not. I mean, the fans don't know. 
I don't even know if the coaches know, and sure as heck, the media doesn't know either. So it leaves a huge question mark for this Wake team right now. For all the talent they have, there's still that the biggest question mark. You at least you you hope slash know that Damari's going to be coming back sometime this season, knock on wood. You don't know about Efton. We've sort of been talking about the depth of this Wake Forest team. A lot of hypotheticals. The biggest hypothetical is Efton Reed gets the go-ahead from the NCAA to you know start the season be an active member of this team and slot in at that you know starting five role to sort of be the big man down the post um i think steve forbes obviously his hope was that you know in recruiting reed he'd he'd be able to get the go ahead and play right away um but yeah that just the volatile nature of the ncaa it's in a huge period of flux right now with how the rules are shifting um they're, they're sort of tightening down on the transfer portal um, you know, on, on how that all shakes out and how frequently players are allowed to transfer. And Wake is unfortunately at the mercy of whatever that ruling might be. You know, if if it's ruled that he can't play right away, I'm sure there's going to be an appeal process and things like that. So, you know, nothing's going to be set in stone maybe for a while. But yeah, again, that's another, you assume that Steve Forbes and staff don't know anything concrete yet because, you know, nobody else, Nobody else knows anything yet either. And, you know, getting so close to the season start, that is that is an obstacle to coach around and to prepare for as a team is you don't know if one of the best players on your team, you know, a, a prized acquisition in the transfer portal is going to be able to go and is going to be able to contribute in a meaningful way right off the bat. Yeah, and the NCA is a joke. We could make an entire podcast about that. Um, just the inconsistency the lack of clarity, the the fact that it's the Wild West in some points, and then other times, you know, oh, Baba Miller got sent like $2,000, 16-game suspension. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, Something that's not good for Efton Reed's case is yesterday was ruled, I guess it'll be two days by the time the pod gets released, but Raekwon Battle, one of my favorite players in college basketball, played two years at Washington, transferred to Montana State, Big Sky Player of the Year, two years at Montana State, transfers to West Virginia, who's had all of their problems with Bob Huggins. Yesterday... Raekwon Battles waiver denied. West Virginia will appeal. It is not official that he can't play next season, but this is a fifth. Here's what there's so much wrong with this. Number one, this is a fifth year player. You know, so many grad transfers. I'm not sure if he's technically a grad transfer, but the point is plenty of fifth year players transfer for their last year and play immediately. Number two, he played two years. It's the two time transfer rule, right? But he played two years at Washington, two years at Montana State. And now he's going to West Virginia. He's not jumping around playing on a different team every year. You know, he he went to a power five, played two years. You know, everything about just like the, you know, the Gen Z type thing. Like, oh, people don't want to work hard. They want to, you know, they just want to run when things get hard. It's like, you can't even pull that argument with him. He played two solid years, went down, got his mojo back, was an awesome player, taking it back to the power six. And they're not letting this, this 23-year-old play. That's a joke. I hope Raekwon Battle gets to play, but Efton Reed plays one year at LSU and then one year at Gonzaga. So based on just that logic, I don't feel good about it. Um, but, you know, hoping that the NCAA lightens up and people appeal and, you know, they just get weak and just let everyone play. That would be fun. You know, COVID gave us a taste of, hey, everyone play. Screw those transfer rules. But, and it looks like they're trying to get away from that, but will they, you know, who knows? For fun, and for excitement and for optimism, let me talk about Efton Reed as a basketball player and, and not the got nonsense with the rules. Efton Reed, five-star recruit, we know. Huge, seven-foot, 230 pounds. We know that. Um, Forbes has mentioned that he can score with both hands around the basket. Like, he's very skilled, great touch. And that is just a something that Wake has not had since Olivier Saar. A little bit. Dallas Wallen and Kadeem, Kadeem C could score, but, you know, they weren't. That, that was those, those were later options. That wasn't, this wasn't the go-to. You know, and Matthew Marsh, Davion Bradford, take it back to why Kenneth Smart, Odio Guama, like these were just guys that we were just hoping could could play good defense, rebound, and 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 you know make some layups. Right? He is an offensive player who has skill, and he might not be stepping out and shooting threes like uh, Zach Keller, who becomes much bigger of a factor if Efton Reed doesn't play. You know, as is it a five man alongside Andrew Clark can play the five, but a five man who can score. You know, Zach Keller. We'll have a little bit of mojo, got some experience last year, you know. Um, but it, it'll just change a lot offensively and, and defensively. And the other thing I want to say about Efton Reed is he started every game at LSU as a freshman. You know, five-star recruit, comes in, and then he transfers to Gonzaga. If you 
like, let's just simplify this. If you're a five-star recruit and you transfer from a school like LSU to a school like Gonzaga, you're expecting to play, you know? I don't know about any behind-the-scenes things that may have happened in Gonzaga, but a dude named Ben Gregg, who's just a fine player for Gonzaga, was who who they opted to go with more often than not to back up Drew Timmy and Anton Watson. Like, Efton Reed was not able to get that. There was some type of disconnect after, you know, Mark Few convinced him to come, probably saying you're going to play and be a big part of this. Maybe you're going to play alongside Timmy. You know, maybe you guys are going to be uh, one of the best front courts in the nation to like, there's an ego thing there, you know? And, and he obviously had his pick of the litter because of his pedigree of where he wanted to go play. And, you know, he came to play here because it probably seemed like a very exciting place to play um, around all these guards with a lot of firepower and kind of be this guy that, you know, for a change of pace, they can dunk it down to in the post. So there's got some confidence. He's got to be able to work through. He's never really found his stride through two years in college. Like, we don't know if he is going to take this big jump or if he is even a better option than Matthew Marsh right now. I'm, I'm, I, I really do think he is because of the talent level and because of the pedigree. But, but point is, there are questions there. I think that he could have a very high ceiling and be a 14 and eight kind of guy if he's out there. He is more mobile. We talked about the agility thing with Marsh, um, and he's obviously huge. So, really hoping to see him out there. Um, it is a tough spot for Forbes and any of these coaches who are dealing with these appeals. Um, but from a pure basketball standpoint, it's a, f- we don't know everything about how his game, you know, all phases of his game, but from an offensive standpoint, being able to score from the post, that's a sure thing. He's a, he's the best option Wake's had in a while. Then. Yeah. So my thing about Efton Reed is, you know, watching his tape, seeing him a little bit, you know, playing, I think Wake Forest, especially under Steve Forbes, is a sleeping giant. I mean, Wake as a program was asleep for a long time, but I think they have the potential to be very, very good in the in the near future under Steve Forbes. I think with Epton Reed this season, Wake Forest is one of the biggest dark horses in all of college basketball. Like, I think if Epton Reed is your starting center and giving you, say, 20 late high 20s to 30 minutes a game, like Wake is a very, very, very good basketball team. And I think, you know, if they don't have them, there'll be some things to figure out. I mean, the whole situation is a train wreck. I mean, you know, leaving LSU because your head coach was Will freaking Wade. And then, you know, the the situation at Gonzaga, whatever that was, and you bring in, you know, some of these waivers getting denied, take into account the whole Tez Walker situation and how there's been some some action from the North Carolina government you know, how does that come into play if Efton Reed gets denied? But that 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 could be, you know, another discussion where I go in, for, in on it for 40 minutes. But the point of the matter is, if this waiver situation comes out the right direction, and if it doesn't, then I have a huge issue with it. But if it does come out the right direction, then I think Wake Forest really, really, really has something cooking this year. Yeah, and I think one of the things, Christian, you touched on it, I think, one of the things that was appealing about Efton Reed out of the portal for Steve Forbes is that you get that sort of, you know, five-star recruit, big body, center physique, seven foot, 230 pounds, but you also get it without giving up a lot of that skill and that finesse, which is something that Wake hasn't really had that combination of skills or characteristics at the five position recently. You know, last year you have Matthew Marsh, who is a big body can throw it down and grab some boards, but doesn't have, you know, the finesse necessarily of a player like Andrew Carr with Efton Reed. If he can go, he has the potential to excel in both of those areas. And, you know, there's, there's three scenarios here. A Efton Reed is granted eligibility, takes a big leap um, and, you know, becomes the player that was a five-star recruit at a high school and had, you know, monster potential. B he is able to play, doesn't take a massive leap right away. Even, even so, I think he's a guy that defenses will have to give a ton of respect to and, and can an affect upgrade. the game in, yeah, an upgrade and someone that can you know provide a lot of value on the boards, um, you know, with his physicality. Even if things offensively aren't you know taking off right away, or C, he his waiver is denied and the appeal process begins, and then Steve Forbes has to find a way to sort of adjust to not having this this key piece, you know, in his rotation, at least to start things off. So, you know, the, the program for that reason, this team is in a very intriguing position. I agree with you, Essex, that Wake 
is a huge dark horse um, right now, and they have the potential to really turn some heads. They're not projected very high in the ACC at all. They are not get. If I'm, I believe I'm correct in this. They're projected right around the same place they were last year, right. which is which is. What? They're they're projected around sixth. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. Talking oh, about really the whole, but Wake Forest is you know sixth that kind of range from CBS, um in the ACC. I'll you know I'm fortunate enough to be uh, a conference voter this year for the preseason. I believe, and I'm going to pull it up quickly. I have Wake Forest sixth in the ACC, and honestly, the only reason I don't have them higher is because of that concern about the Efton Reed situation. So people do like, you know, Wake Forest a little bit, a, a little bit. Um, you know, th- there was something that came out today about the 101 best teams in college basketball. I believe Wake Forest was at 55, something around that range, the the 50s. So it's not like in some years prior where Wake's really on the outside looking in at the tournament, people are kind of treating Wake Forest like a, okay, we like this team, but there are those question marks. It's a wait and see, but we feel pretty darn okay about them. But, and I think a lot of that really does just hinge on Efton and his whole situation. And Ben, you know, it'd be a crazy, you, you listed out option ABC. There's even an option D where because of the NCAA and this whack scenario, um, you know, they may, fi- Wake more at Forest may find out like three weeks, six weeks into the season that, Efton Reed surprise gets his, you know, his waiver accepted or they appeal and they find out his waiver gets accepted. Like it's such a weird, weird, weird world we live in with college athletics right now that like we truly, as you said, we are college teams are at the mercy of the NCAA and whatever nuts practices they decide they want to do. So there's a lot of things that could go on with Efton. Yeah, and you know, touching back on those those preseason projections a little bit. Yeah, CBS has Wake projected sixth in the ACC, and Wake is just I think forever going to be one of those teams that no one's going to give them any respect in the preseason until they just go out and do it, until they just go out and turn some heads. And you know, the the last time Wake had a real shot to get into the the NCAA tournament, you know, they had that really bad ACC tournament loss against Boston College in overtime, a game you know a Boston college team that Wake Forest was a lot better than, you know, Jake LaRavia is on that team goes on to be a first round pick. Um, So yeah, this, I think this Wake team should be playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Cause I think in house, they know they have the talent to really make some noise and, you know, they start right off the bat with some, some pretty tough games, which we'll get into here in a minute. But um, you know, I don't think I personally right now don't think this team is being given quite enough respect. And I do get, I do get that part of it hinges on, you know, the uncertainty of this scenario. Cause it really is just, you just have no idea what's going to happen. You option D that you just gave me is a very legit possibility. Yeah. Interesting point about him and coming to play through the season and just to, to ex- expound upon this point about, you know, where wake falls in the ACC, where their ceiling is their, their national thing. Here's how I'm framing the ACC right now. You have your tournament locks. There's three. It's Duke, it's Carolina, it's Miami. That's it. Those are the only teams that I'm 100% sure are going to make the NCAA tournament. Then you have your rebuilding programs. You have Notre Dame, you have Louisville, Georgia Tech, potentially Syracuse, except Judamins is a dude. Judamins might be the best player in the ACC. Um, and, and they then play man defense. You've got, yes. And then you've got the question. Then you've got this, this, this big tier of question marks. And I think that there's reason to believe there's a lot of information to lead me to believe that wake is at the top of that tier alongside Clemson, Virginia and Virginia tech as in teams that their coaches and Florida state. I'm not giving up on Florida state, which was a, who has been broken down. Leonard Hamilton is old, 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 and he is still fired up and he's still got some dudes. Don't count on Florida state. Don't count on Jalen Warley. Who's my sleeper pick for most improved player in AC. But point is when you look at, Clemson, I think Clemson can be an NCAA tournament team. Virginia lost everything. Don't tell me that Reese Beekman is going to start averaging 16 points a game all of a sudden. It's not happening. He's a great player. He's a great defender. But Reese Beekman, you can come back, keep your receipts. I don't care. Reese Beekman is not going to just become this amazing offensive player. I think Isaac Benilla is really good. Whatever. Virginia is, is rebuilding in a sense, too. They're so well coached that they'll be good, but they're not going to be great, in my opinion. Virginia Tech, you know, 
they they replaced Grandpa Grandpa Silly Justin Mott's like huge losses. Like they think Rodney Rice is going to take this huge jump. That's a big question mark. Syracuse, you know, Mint Starling, and then a bunch of young guys. Um, NC State, uh, you know, Morsell's back, Burns is back. Question marks there. Joiner and Smith are gone. Um, Pitt, it's Blake Henson and and guys that aren't Blake Henson, Fede Federico and the the Chet Holmgren twins, but. This whole rant is me basically saying the ACC is wide open. It has been wide open. It is not the same conference it has been. And I know people want to get mad at me for not being an ACC homer because Miami made the final four. Miami was nasty. Miami was fantastic. And Clemson deserved to make the tournament. But I'm ranting right now because I am saying there's the top three teams. There's the bottom teams. And in the middle, I'm very confident that Wake is one of the best teams that I just went on. Wake is somewhere in that four to eight range. And yeah, it doesn't make sense for people to be labeling them four right now or even five. I think six is the highest place you can legitimately, with an argument, put them right now. But the ceiling for them to get four or even higher, if everything hits their way, is so there because of how open this conference is and because of how many question marks basically every team has. Yeah, so you know what? Like, you've gotten me excited, Christian. We had this slated for a little bit later in the podcast, but I think this works. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, One thing before I really get into it. So very interesting. interestingly, today, I know you mentioned Rice with Virginia Tech. He left the team today. What? Yes. Why? I Undisclosed. Um, So Whoa. that is super-duper question mark for our hokey oh. friends up in Blacksburg. But... Wow. So that CBS, what, what they came out with, so they have their quote-unquote expert picks. So, and I I promise, I, you know, it's going to be a little long-winded, but I've got a point to this. So as high as, the highest they have Wake Forest, so Matt Norlander and David Cobb have Wake Forest finishing fifth in the ACC. Interestingly enough, wow. Matt, Matt Norlander was the guy who wrote the top 101 for the NCAA. So he, I think, is looking at Wake Forest pretty kindly. The lowest... Wake Forest's place at is ninth in the ACC from Kyle Boone and our good old friend Jerry Palm, who always neglects Wake Forest in his bracket projections, even when they were good, has Wake Forest at eight. So I think your point about where the ACC stands and the kind of the standings right now is a hundred percent right. Like I think, you know, just I was going through my my selections for the ACC vote last night. And I felt pretty good about where I looked at the top, like Duke, Miami, I'm high on Clemson. So I have Clemson finishing third, North Carolina. And then, you know, I really did struggle in that, that five to 10 range. Like Virginia, I think could be good. You know, Virginia Tech, unfortunately, I made this selection and submitted it, you know, the one day too early with the news that they're going through, but Pitt, NC State, Syracuse, you know, there is a lot of things that, people are not sure of with the ACC, you know, the conference where, you know, the top is relatively clear cut, but those teams that are fighting in, you know, that, you know, that five to 10 range, that range where you are flipping between making the tournament or not, there's a lot of teams that can flip there. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how the conference plays out. And one last saw Christian, I know you mentioned Judah Mintz. I am so excited you did because I felt kind of weird making that selection, but I felt really strongly about it. Judah Mintz is on my preseason All-ACC team. I really Who's like team? him. My preseason All-ACC team, Judah Mintz. Good. That's a great That's a great selection. Um, And just one general overarching point about projections. Let's not forget we are one year removed from North Carolina is obviously the best team in the country. And Pitt is bad where no one wanted to listen to me and watch how good these guys were without John Hughley. But whatever, the point is there's going to be a miss. There's going to be a surprise. There's going to be surprises. Uh, so I don't want to put too much weight in projections for, and like a lot of these national writers, let's be honest. We watched every single weight game last year. A lot of national writers, they can't watch every team play. And I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. My point of this is saying it, and I'm, and I'm happy to hear where they have them ranked. But just in terms of the ACC, there wasn't a lot of reason as a national writer to be watching the ins and outs of the ACC season. And and I do think that that uh, we were able to gain some nuggets here and there about teams and, and what's real and what's not. Um, and in terms of this, what's real and what's not like NC State and Pitt are two Kevin Keats and uh, Jeff Capel. They had great years and saved their jobs last year. 
but who says that they're going to be any good this year? Um, they have some momentum right now, but when you look at from from a head coaching standpoint, like Steve and I know last season, you know, had some downs for Wake Forest, and, and it wasn't, and the program isn't where it wants to be yet by any means. But I still feel like there's a level of momentum within Wake Forest, uh, upwards momentum in the ACC that like, what other programs really have? Just just a quick run through of like momentum. Miami obviously has momentum, right? Uh, Duke. You know, first year one of Shire, like the recruiting still there, the talent still there. Like they were playing very well uh, before they lost to Tennessee. I see the flag behind you, Essex. Clemson, Brad Brunel saved his job again last year. I agree with you, Essex. I think Clemson is legit. They, they, I think they have what it takes to be a top twenty-five team. But like Syracuse, new coach. You know, Florida State, really old coach who's been struggling. Uh, Louisville was an absolute disaster last year. Notre Dame, new coach. Boston College, Earl Grant's got some momentum, but it's not Wake Forest level man- momentum. They were never a legit threat. Georgia Tech new coach. So, um, and Oh, Mike young, Mike young's fantastic coach. Maybe one of the best coaches in the ACC, but like, okay, you just told me they lost maybe the most talented player. I did not know that. Like, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal for Virginia tech. Um, all of this is me once again, saying Wake Forest is very, very much. So in this mix of the ACC in this top six, seven range. Yeah. You only know, like two teams are probably like, sure. Things going to be really good. Like Duke and probably Miami. Like everything else to me is they got Baycott, RJ Davis, Ellie Cadeau, and who they bring in Cormac Ryan and Jalen was like, let, let Carolina has so many reasons to play. Like there's no way as horrible as last year was, they still almost say the tournament. Like Carolina yeah. is no doubt one of the best teams in the ACC. And I'm Whether sure they're a top five or a top 25 team. I don't know. Yeah. I have a little bit of North Carolina bias. Sure. And I, I have them as the top, a top four team in the ACC. Like I'm not, you know, blind. Uh, but I think like true, sure thing. Like I think every well, college basketball, everybody has question marks, but like when I say sure thing, like sure, sure thing. Like I feel like Duke and Miami, like the ACC is, it's just going to be, what if what it's kind of been like for the past few years where it's a roll of the dice and see how they fall. And as you said, Christian, I mean, teams that are supposed to be good aren't going to be maybe not going to be good. Um, and teams that maybe aren't supposed to be good may be good for me. For me, that's Syracuse. For me, that is Syracuse. Don't hate it. Um, well, and Wake Forest. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all all plays out this season. Before we move on, Ben, any last thoughts on on the ACC and how things are shaping up from a whole conference per- perspective? Yeah, I just think I think it'll be interesting to see how things shake out, especially at the top, because I think with how well Duke has done recruiting, I think they're sort of on their way to restoring sort of that blue blood, you know, top of the line ACC status obviously Duke's first year under Shire was outstanding to capture an ACC title you know win a game in the tournament unfortunately you know they just the the pieces weren't all there for them to make a really deep tournament run from Carolina's standpoint I agree with you Christian I think Carolina is going to be vastly improved this year Elliot Cadeau is obviously going to be a monster I really like the Cormac Ryan ad just for a veteran presence you know Baycott has already come out and said what a, what a good presence he is in the locker room I think that that team had a lot of toxicity, you know, last year. And, you know, they even came out and said they wouldn't have even taken an NIT bid if they were going to get it, which like is to me just a sign of a, a program that was that really just needed to scrap that year and just move on. Too pride. Um, right. What'd you say? Too much pride. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, after that, after the first half of that national championship game two years ago, just was not the same team. Um, and yeah, Hubert Davis has, a mountain of expectations on his back. Um, and then, yeah, you've got sort of that, that middle contingent of who's going to, who's going to rise to the cream of the crop. Who's going to, who's going to make a deep run, you know, come ACC tournament time. And who's, who's going to steal those tournament spots from the ACC um, as always going to be a lot of fun. Um, going to be a lot of, a lot of excitement. I, th- I think even early on in the year, I think there's going to be, I think there's just so much to look forward to wake forest and beyond in this conference. Gosh, I'm so excited for the basketball season to start, fellas. And talking about the basketball season, getting ready to start, let's go ahead and get into that Wake Forest schedule. We've talked about the Alabama scrimmage. That game's not going to go on the record, but a big one this Sunday, a fantastic cause. You know, all of us are going to be supporting it from the Boots on the Ground movement. We'll be there, you know, to cover it and, and supporting everything that it's about. It's just so great, and we 
can't, you know, suggest more for the Wake Forest, you know, fan base to be a part of it. You're going to learn a lot about the team. It's going to be an early litmus test against one of the best programs in the country. And then when games get started, you know, right off the bat, there are some serious matchups that are going to be coming up for Wake Forest. You know, after that Elon game, going down to Athens for what, at least at the start of the season, will likely be a, a quad one opportunity against Georgia. You have Utah and Charleston, and if you win that game, probably Houston. I mean, that's a huge matchup. Florida at home, Rutgers at home. The non-con, before we get into the conference part of the schedule, is that, you know, there are some, you know, not as hard games. I mean, let's be honest. There are some teams on this schedule that Wake Forest 100% should be winning, but there are some others where it is real competition that's going to matter in March for the Deeks. Yeah, no, I I touched on this when when we sort of did a deep dive into Wake season um, last week. It's just one of the one of the things this team has struggled with is winning the right game. Steve Forbes has talked about it at length. Um, and this season, right off the bat, like you met, like you mentioned, Essex, a lot of games that could matter at the end of the year. Boom, you know, Wake Forest handles George handles business against Georgia last year. Um, you know, going on the road to Athens, huge huge test. Utah should be a good game. Florida should be a good game. And then Rutgers blew Wake out of the water last year. Obviously, that was an away game. But, you know, right off the bat, this team is going to be tested. Um, and then, you know, in terms of conference, the the Duke game is the, the Wake versus Duke home game is during a part of the school year where students will be on campus, which I think is a big adjustment. And I think that Duke team could very well be is projected to be a top five team in the country, you know, all year long. So that's obviously going to be a game where, you know, Wake's going to have circled on their calendar, but you know, a very, a very different schedule complexion wise um, than it was last year for this Wake Forest team. So we'll ACC play will, will be another beast. So just going to stick with non-conference uh, quickly about the Alabama scrimmage. Alabama's really, really good. Um, I'm going to put a receipt down right now that I think Ryland Griffin's going to be one of the biggest breakout players in the country this year. Um, but I think that's a great test, obviously a great cause um georgia was not that good last year they should be a little better this year uh but pointing out that it's on the road is, is huge essex that the potential for a quad one win they don't even have to be a tournament team or, or that close to a tournament team for it to count as a quad one win um which is big because it's on the road uh utah is supposed to be solid don't know a lot about them but again just that's a game you want to win on your home floor of course when the resume does matter down the line i'm circling that florida game I think Florida is really good. I think Florida is going to be a top 25 team this year. And again, these, these rare opportunities, you know, you know, let's say you beat Florida when they're, let's say Florida's, you know, three and two entering that game or something like that. Like if they have a good sec play, all of a sudden, like that win means something totally different. And, you know, that's a team that brought in some transfers. Uh, they got the Iona kid Clayton, uh, Walter Clayton Jr. I think is his name. Um, they got Riley Kugel as an NBA guy. Like Florida is going to be really good if it takes them some time to hit their stride. Like, you know, that's a win that later on, that's something that we, we've talked about just in all these bracketology discussions of being on the bubble the last two years of like when so, you play a team in November and you're the, the judge, the, the, you know, the way that that win is judged is based on how good that team is months later. And, and that changes. So when you do have a power five team coming into your building in, in November, it's just a huge Huge opportunity uh, to get that win. And obviously, whether Efton Reed or Damari Monsanto is out there, well, Damari's not, but it, it'll be uh, – This it makes the Reed thing more important because, you know, you're missing uh, one of your best players in Monsanto. And then Rutgers is not the team they were last year, but they still play that same – they're going to play that same style. Uh, so, with Steve Peichel. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, definitely the schedule is, is – a step up from you know where it was two years ago and, and last year the Houston game I didn't even mention like you know we know what Houston is but hey they, they're going to be tested and uh in an ACC that might not be that strong and might not have a lot of quad one opportunities like we just saw last year like these are big chances too makes yeah sense. absolutely I mean Ben said it is some of these games you just got to get to to get to March and Christian you mentioned the ACC schedule Here's where I'm really interested about the ACC this year for Wake Forest is the teams they're playing, of course, but kind of the the home and away aspect of these games. It's going to be, you know, a train wreck for the quad system. You know, the quad system is its own thing. 
but I like where Wake Forest sits in not only the teams they have to play, but in the the locations in which they have to do it. I'll quickly just go through. I mean, in terms of away games, you're away at Boston College, Florida State, NC State, UNC, who you play only once, away at Pitt, Georgia Tech, Duke, who you play twice, away at Virginia, who you play twice. We North- always play Carolina twice. It's stupid. We, we, we play North Carolina just once this year, actually. Wake I know. Up. I'm saying that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Like Wake Forest, a lot of those away trips are not super bad in terms of the teams you're playing. The teams you get to play at home, you know, you get Virginia at home. You play Miami just once this year, and that is at the Joel. You get to have Duke at home. You play them twice. Um, and you play Syracuse. You don't have to go up to Syracuse this year like you did last year. You play Clemson once, and it's in the Joel. You know, Wake Forest, the opponents they're seeing, also the opponents they're only seeing once, teams like Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, you know, all supposed to be very good teams. You only have to face them once. And for the most part, you're doing it in the Joel. So I think that bodes well for Wake Forest. Also at the end of the season, your last two conference games at home. Wake Forest, they ended the season in Syracuse in kind of just a train wreck game, if I'm being honest. And you had to go away to Syracuse to do it and then shuttle back down to Greensboro for the ACC tournament. Wake Forest, you know, you get that Duke home game when students are going to be on campus. Wake Forest beat Duke last year with no students there. Um, And now you get to have a home game against Duke with students. You get to close the season with two straight ACC home games. You have that good kind of, you don't have to play some of the really good teams twice, which can be a bit precarious. And where you're doing it is mostly at home. So to be honest, I really do like that ACC schedule for Wake Forest. I think if, you know, the team is as good as they're supposed to be, then that could be beneficial for them. Yeah, the one thing I will say about ACC play, both for Wake and just in general, is we've sort of, you know, hit on this, what the identity of the ACC is going to be all year. You know, the ACC is wide open, and that has some upside for Wake Forest in that they can rise to the top and be, you know, uh, potentially, if all goes right for them, top five, top four team in the ACC. The other part of that, however, is that what I think will happen, especially early on, is that some of these middle of the pack teams that we really don't know to, don't know what to expect, and maybe even some of these you know bottom of the barrel teams are going to beat the hell out of each other in the regular season, which that affects how the games are ranked on a quad system. So Wake will not you know the margin for error I think might end up being kind of slim if you you know blow a couple games against you know a Georgia Tech or something like that, you know whoever it might be, you know Wake as always is going to have to find a way to, to take care of business in conference play at a higher level than they have um, last year. And in previous years, if they want to, you know, have a shot to, to, you know, get back to, to March Madness, which ultimately of course is the goal of the program this year. And you mentioned getting back to the tournament. The last thing we do before we close out here, I think I just want to go around the horn with you guys. You know, we've talked about how big making the tournament is for Wake Forest And to me, it feels like the time for Steve Forbes and Wake Forest to do it. This feels like a tournament team. It has tournament team talent, the chip on the shoulder of the past two seasons, the right combo of new guys, transfers, returners. You know, this feels like the right team to do it. So what I want to do is just quickly go around the horn where you think Wake Forest will finish in the conference and if they make the tournament and kind of what you see for the team as a result this season. So Ben, I'll let you start off and then Christian will get, we'll go to you. Yeah. So, you know, I've obviously we've talked a lot about this team and, you know, where they, they have the potential to excel at some of the places when the other, other teams have failed. I do think this team is better than most um, national, you know, experts are giving them credit for at this stage, just because there are so many unknowns and, you know, you, you are relying on a lot of transfer portals players to blend well together. But, you know, from covering this program, I know that's something Steve Forbes does so well at Kevin Dunn and RJ Kenna said last week, how well the team is, is gelling and how close they all are and how well the new guys are fitting in. So, you know, I think they're going to um, outperform their expectations a little bit. My prediction for them is um, fifth in the conference and snagging an at-large NCAA tournament bid. I'll keep it short and simple. I agree fifth in the conference. I think uh, that Clemson, Miami, Carolina, and Duke are the only teams that I feel confident uh, are going to finish ahead. It doesn't mean the fifth is their ceiling, but 
I'm going to go with fifth. And they're going back to the tournament this year. I think in the eight to 10 seed range, uh, a win in, in that first round game is a, is a huge win for the program. And who knows, maybe they can make some noise and knock off a top seed after that. And I'll quickly close it out by saying, you know, this it, obviously huge caveat, the Efton Reed thing, right? With Efton Reed, I think Wake Forest competes for that four, fifth, fourth, third spot in the ACC. I think they're highly competitive. That dark horse that I mentioned, I think Wake Forest will be a dark horse with Efton Reed. I think they will get to the tournament and not only will they make the tournament, they will make noise in the tournament. I think they will make you know, win not only, you know, a first round game, maybe win a second round game, get to the sweet 16. I think Wake Forest is bound to do something like that. Even without Efton Reed, I like Wake Forest's chance to compete for an at-large bid. So I think this is an exciting season coming up for Wake Forest, regardless of, you know, what happens roster wise. There's a lot to be looking forward to that starts this Sunday against Alabama. And we are ready for it alongside Ben Conroy and our guest, Christian Ejaction. I've been Essex there on the Boots on the Ground pod. Thank you for joining.